All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Basque Week here on Adventures with Sarah. So we have a full week full of in incredibly fun things to learn about a new region of Spain. And our guest this week, all week, is my friend Fran Glaria, coming to us live from Pamplona. Uh, let's see, buenas tardes, is that correct? Okay, that's good enough for me. <laughs> that sounds okay, that's good afternoon, I know. But so is there a, a way in dialect to say good evening to you? uh yes uh what we would say is on again or which means welcome so ongi yeah. etori welcome everybody totally didn't understand that. <laughs> it reminds me of portuguese when people speak portuguese to me it's like it's like language soup in my head i just am like okay <laughs> you speak italian i mean italian and portuguese are pretty much similar I think that's why it's so disruptive in my brain because I feel like I should understand it, you know. <laughs> it's like, how come? Yeah, it's just frustrating because I always think that like um, Portuguese sounds like a drunk Russian speaking Spanish. That's what it sounds like. To me. <laughs> no offense to my Portuguese colleagues who you guys are wonderful, but still. <laughs> we love Portugal. Yeah, exactly. Well, the that for us here in Spain, we if Portuguese people they talk on the slowest mode, we understand them perfectly. Huh. But the things that they talk way too fast. So it's like, hey, take it easy. It's like Italians when they get all well, I was like, okay, calm down so I can understand you. Yeah. So it's for us it's very, very simple. Yeah, I was in Brazil once and I was walking around listening and I swear I could understand people. Like I didn't expect that just because it sounds so much like Italian, but it just is like, it. it it's like my brain becomes scrambled eggs somehow. So I need to go back and study Spanish again because that's the language I started with so I can come and visit you and actually talk to you in Spanish. Although I was, that that was kind of my question. Okay, so let's just back up. We're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So you are Spanish, but before Spanish, I would say probably you can you are Basque, correct? Okay, so you are right. What is the Basque country? That is That's one what of the I was big... going to say. Let's go there. <laughs> That's one of the big issues around the world. Am I Basque? Am I not? It's very complex, and it's not a yes or no type of answer, especially coming from where I come from. Okay, so the Basque region it is located in the north of Spain by the Pyrenees and we share land between Spain and France. Okay, so it's on the western part of the Pyrenees. That little corner is the Gulf of Biscay, okay? And it goes all the way into the Pyrenees. So the Basque country, or the, where we find Basque culture are seven different provinces. Three of them only are called Basque country. Where I am right now, this is Navarre, Okay. That we are not called the Basque country, but we do have Basque culture. <laughs> okay. And if that was not difficult enough, then we go to the French side on the other side of the Pyrenees where, where you find three regions that are Basque culture. Okay. So one thing is the Basque culture that you find in these seven provinces, and then you have the Basque country. And people mix these two things. Okay, I'm confused already. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull up a, a map so we can have like a look at this because I just think that we need to be clear because we're going to be talking about this all week. And I think it's important that we might we, as well. We might as well start as we mean to continue. So let me see if I can pull up a, a map here. Let's see. 
So what we're talking about, I'm going to share my screen here for a sec. Uh, this isn't a very, I, I should have thought about this ahead of time and actually chose a really nice map, but this is just the first thing Google pulled up for me. <laughs> so here we go. Okay, so that's the Basque country according to somebody on the internet. All right, so this big blank spot would be Portugal, right? Portugal. And then yes. up, all up the way here, up there is France. Yeah, so what we're missing here is that this is where Spain goes into France, right here, right? Okay, right, yeah, right there. So the red part, what you pointed there in the red yeah. part, that mm -hmm. is the Basque country. Okay. okay. On the right, that boat, boot looking, that is Navarre, where I am. Okay. okay. That boot like. And then we're missing the three little regions on the French side, which is where you have the marker right now. Ah, okay. All right, so I hope I hope that seems clear to everybody. I'm just gonna. Um, there was another map here. Yeah, here's another one that I was trying to bring up that's a little bit clearer, perhaps. So yeah, so yes, it's just basically good. right at the where Spain and France adjoin, but on the coastal side of it. So okay. there we go. I hope that that well, now we know where we are. <laughs> now we know where we are. Yeah, because <laughs> I think that it, it's it's confusing because I know a lot of people like if you have heard about the Basque region, you've heard about it in terms of it being like a separatist part of Spain, but it's unclear. Is it close to Catalonia? Because that's also a separatist part of Spain. Like, what does that even mean? So so you're in Navarre, which is part of the Basque region, but it's not exclusively Basque country. Yes. There we go. There we go. So. Okay. Now that we know where geographically speaking we yes. are, now let's make it even more complicated. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> because now we put politics in all of this. Okay. So the thing is that if we go back in history, where I am right now, Navarre, it is considered to be the origin of the Basques. We leave that there. By the eighth century, Navarre becomes the kingdom of Navarre, an independent kingdom from Castile, from Aragon. We're talking many centuries before Spain is Spain, okay? But on the eighth century, something happens in Europe. The Muslim empire invades all what today is Spain. Yeah. By the ninth century, the beginning of the Reconquist starts from the north of Spain going down. And that is called El Camino de Santiago the Christian pilgrimage. And this is when it, all of this goes crazy because the kingdom of Navarre is divided by the Camino de Santiago by half. So from the Camino de Santiago to the south, we have 700 years of Muslim heritage. From the Camino de Santiago to the north, we do not. So the kingdom of Navarre has two cultures from the Camino de Santiago to the south Muslim heritage from the Camino to the north, Basque, which is ancestral. So imagine how difficult that is to understand. But if we come to modern history, we come to Franco, to Spanish civil war, the Spanish dictator, this gentleman, to say something, uh, he abolished anything that was not Spanish. He abolished being Galician or Catalonian or Basque. And that is when the Basque terrorist band started, ETA, which is similar to IRA in Ireland. Okay, so it is a very complicated place. What happens today is that we're free. We do not have to hide being Basque. We are what we are and who we are. So 
it's a beautiful, great culture with many different assets and many different things that we don't have to fight to be who we are anymore, which is where we are right now. And what can I say, it's my home. So I love it. So then I would assume then that you still have a very strong cultural identity in that way. So I guess I'm wondering, like in, I'm just going to give you my reference point, of course, is going to be Italy. So in Italy, for example, my friends that are from Florence are Florentine number one, Tuscan number two, maybe Italian number three, but that's questionable. <laughs> and European, like European <laughs> and Italian, I would say those are interchangeable for a lot of people. Is there a hierarchy kind of like that of feeling where you are? And what would that be? In the young, but the thing is that in the younger generation, yes, there's this hierarchy and there's nothing. In my generation that we suffer Franco and the Spanish transition, positioning yourself, if you're first Spanish or Basque, has political connotation. Ah, okay. So in my case, I would say that I'm first Spanish with Basque culture, ah. while the younger generation, they would say we're Basque, and Spanish. Ah, okay. But even within Basque, is there a cultural identity depending on what part of the regions you come from? Because you're obviously from Navarre, so is there an identity based on that? Yes, there's a big identity because Navarre does not have ocean, so the Basque country looks to the ocean. So it's the same culture, but oriented to the ocean. We are here on the Pyrenees. We are more mountain people. And if we go to the other side, to the French side, they are influenced by the French history. Because on the French side, for example, they did not have Franco. Ah, they yeah. had World War II, but they did not have Franco. So, you know, Frank, Franco is such an interesting character because I don't feel like I know enough about him, or maybe it's not a, a person you, that they talk about in history as much. I know that, you know, Again, my reference point, Mussolini. Everybody knows who Mussolini is. You don't even have to have studied history to understand the connotations of when I say that. Franco feels a little bit more mysterious. And I think part of that is that he, they weren't really involved in World War II as the enemy, you know, according to the United States sort of characterization of it. And also, Franco takes place a lot later, a lot more recently. I mean, you lived during the time of Franco, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the issue. The thing is that. The Spanish Civil War starts from 1936 until 1939. Franco takes power and he goes all the way until 1975. So it's 40 years, it's yesterday in history. Yeah. So it's very, for now with my kids, uh, they're studying Spanish history and they go all the way to Franco. And I think it's a very good thing not to be taught everything at this point in Spain, because uh, what happens is that whoever is going to be your teacher has a point of view because yeah. your teacher lived has lived Franco and it's not going to be talking about Napoleon or King Philip II. No, no. My personal beliefs are going to be there. So I'm not going to be fair to history, either on one side or the other side. So for us, Franco really uh, has done so much i mean not good but but we still leave a heritage of franco i mean i franco i was born in 71 and franco died in 75 so the thing is that my education was in the transition years so although i had a quite a liberal education 
it was an education made by a dictator. So there's, I always say that there's the stupid little things that I cannot control that I still do on a Franco mind. Like what? So one of, like for the most stupid thing that I cannot help it, I cannot wear shorts on the streets. Well, which I is feel that ridiculous. <laughs> that's not a Franco thing though. <laughs> no, I mean, it is. That's old school European culture though, because I feel that. I mean, I was kind of raised in, in Italy in the 90s and I feel the same. I can't wear shorts on the street in Italy. For example, here, I mean, men, a certain age, men, according to Franco, men do not wear shorts. Oh, so While, he specifically said that. Yeah, I mean, you, a man wears shorts all the way until his first communion. Ah, Once you get the first communion, you're not allowed to wear shorts anymore. Wow. Huh. So it was that clear. Yeah. So in my little brain, <laughs> it's still there. And when I see people my age wearing shorts, I do not feel offended. I don't look at them funny. It's just when I put, I have them, I put them on. And this is not for me. I cannot find myself wearing shorts. And I go to the beach wearing my swimming trunk or whatever. But walking on the streets with shorts, I feel very uncomfortable. So things like that are like very Franco, very old fashioned manner type of things that we still breathe, we still have. Sure, yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. You know, I love these, I love the, the what, what am I trying to say? I've been thinking about what you're saying a lot lately um, with respect to friendships, relationships in general of the people that I know because we're all from different countries and we've all had different experiences growing up. And even if you and I are roughly the same age, you had a very different childhood than I did. And you almost come from a different time. It's like, you know, it's, it's, but it's fascinating because we're the same age and our children are the same. Like I would bet you that my son, Luca and your daughter, Fiji are basically the same. Like they probably watch the same YouTube videos, right? They yeah. do the same stuff. But you and I, even if we are the same age, had extraordinarily different experiences in our childhoods. Isn't that interesting? Well, I think this globalization issue, it's incredible. I mean, all the kids are watching the same YouTube and the same influencers and the same Netflix all around the world. So are we losing the essence of ourselves? Are we losing the essence of what an American person is, what a Spanish person is, what a French person is. But then when you travel and you go to Italy, in the moment you put one foot in Italy, you are in Italy. Yeah. You know, the essence, the centuries, millennials of years of history that we have, it's yeah. in our souls, it's somewhere. And uh, that's what makes traveling so incredibly amazing. It does. And, you know, from my point of view, I really enjoy that you and I have had very different experiences because we can always have a really interesting conversation and compare and contrast different experiences we've had. Whereas I can also see the positivity in the way my kids are, because, you know, every time that they go to Europe and they meet kids their own age, they can sit on a park bench and they can have a conversation about their favorite YouTuber or that video game they like. And they have an interest, an interest that's common almost immediately, which I guess maybe we had that sort of, I remember um, back in the eighties when I went to Europe, I mean, we, we didn't have the internet, but we, if I wore <laughs> Levi's, everybody wanted to talk to me because I had jeans on. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> you know, that's one of the, the Levi's issue. It's the issue because when I go to the United States, that's I have a list of Levi's that I have to take back home. I, <laughs> still today, it's the thing. It's that Levi's. Isn't that so funny? I mean, it's almost like that. It feels like a shadow of, of history that people forgot about. But when I was a kid in the 80s, like you could bring jeans with you to Europe and sell them for 10 times what you paid for them in the U.S. That's a crazy thing because nobody had them. No. Well, here today, uh, Levi's, is, they cost about 100 euros. <laughs> so it's like, what? <laughs> then you go to the United States at three pair of Levi's for 40 euros, big discount. It's like, okay, give me three. And I'll, I don't care the size. Somebody will go into them. So perfect. That's so funny. Yeah. I just, I, I really remember the whole jeans thing. And especially when you got to the borders of Europe, like in the nineties, when I traveled a lot in Eastern Europe, I mean, if you had Oof. jeans, you had to watch them in a hostel, somebody would take them, you know? <laughs> well, they, they could even take them. I, uh, I went to the Eastern countries in well, late eighties and in the border, they removed them and obviously they kept them. Yeah. So it's like my jeans. I didn't understand what they said. I, I just smiled and said, Good. <laughs> sure. Okay. Whatever you want, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want my t-shirt as well? Go ahead. For you. Yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. So, so then growing up in um in the Basque country in Spain in the 70s and 80s, then I mean, did you travel to other countries much or did you stay mostly in Spain? Because I know the borders weren't open when I was a kid in the 80s. They didn't open until what the 90s, but did you get around much to other places? Uh here, uh especially crossing the border to France has always been very easy because it's from my house right now, it's 40 minutes yeah. crossing into France. So there was many, the official borders, you could have some trouble, but the unofficial borders, they were easy to sneak through. So we would go through the other part and just go to France with no big deal. And I did not leave Europe until I was 15. I went to the United States. That was the biggest shock of my life. I was like, oh, what is this place? It was like totally crazy country that I could not understand. The cars, the noise, the food, everything was like exceptional, but it was not a normal thing. I mean, not too many kids back then uh, could either afford or have parents whose basic thing was, okay, you need to travel the world and that's it. So. I was quite a lucky one. Yeah. Well, it, I don't think it was normal for my generation either. It's just my dad's from Europe. So that's why we ended up coming to, to Europe and other kids maybe didn't. So, but yeah, that's, it's a crazy thing. I'm Okay. So you, that, that leads me to a question. I'm curious, the first time you went to the U.S., what is the thing you remember the most? What is the thing that shocked you the most about the United States? Well, the other day, in fact, I was checking all the pictures from childhood. And from the first time I went to the United States, I went to Detroit. And I have like two albums of pictures. I think one whole album is just of cars. Cars, police officers, uh, firefighter tracks, these huge, amazing tracks that you could only see in the movies. It's like, whoa, picture, picture. So I have thousands of pictures of tracks. And then the food. Food was like, we've never, I never had a hot dog before. Uh, so it was like, what on earth is this? I've never been to Germany, so no brass boards or things like that. Uh, 
the size of food, everything was big, 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 big. I mean, you want a Coke, medium, large or extra large? Well, I'm not, you know, you're extra large. And suddenly somebody would bring you a swimming pool of Coke. It's like, but what is it? Like, we went to the movies. And it was like, okay, popcorn. Like, it's like, I could not hold, do you want butter on it? Butter? Popcorn's like, it's like, what is this? This is crazy. I gained like five pounds in one month. <laughs> it was <so> yeah. Good. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> it was so, so good. That was kind of a big, big shock. And then I returned a couple of summers. And then I did my senior year of high school in the United States. Yeah. And that was a big shock because I was going from an only boys Catholic school to an American public high school. That was the weirdest thing in the world. I mean, having, you know, the way students would approach teachers, they would talk directly without raising their hands. Like, I mean, they're, they're going to be slapped. Back then we were smacked in the heads if you do something like that. People were drinking water. I mean, they would bring their bottles of water to class. And it's like, no, you don't do, I mean, here in Spain, you still don't do that. It's like- You can't bring water to water. class? Jeez. Oh, you don't. It's huh. like, what? You're taking water to class? So it was like very weird. And then the first, come on, I was 17 having girls, cheerleaders. It was like. <laughs> and you were in a Bakersfield? It was like the biggest. Was, if I remember correctly, was it Bakersfield? Yes. <laughs> it was in Bakersfield, California. <laughs> I remember, yeah, you told uh, me that. That was a shock too. <laughs> that was a big shock because when you think about California, I thought it was going to be, you know, California, Hollywood and Santa Monica, San Diego. And then it was Bakersfield, which is not exactly that. But I had a ball. I, it, was, it was really amazing. And in fact, in Bakersfield, thanks to Mrs. T, my math teacher, I realized I was Basque. How so? Which is something that, well, the thing is that, here, as I told you, I saying that you're Basque, being from Navarre, it was supporting the ETA, it was supporting the Basque terrorist band. So uh, I, I never said I was Basque. Then my teacher, my math teacher, she said, you know, there's a big Basque community here. I was like, big deal, I'm not Basque. And she was, oh boy, you are so Basque. I'm like, I'm not Basque. You are, I'm like, what do you mean? You're stubborn, hardworking, square head. I'm like, you are, but I'm like, I'm not. So she took me to this uh, Basque uh, place in Bakersfield. And in the moment I walked in, I said, I'm Basque. I felt home. It was like, oh my God, this is my home. The, the way people would talk to each other, the way, the food, uh, this, even the smell of, of the place, it was Basque. Wow, so I you didn't know. really have that cultural identity until you came to the United States. <laughs> mm -hmm. Isn't that weird? It's a, that's what well, I guess that, that makes sense from the point of view of, the, of how you were saying like Franco didn't allow that kind of cultural identity. Mm -hmm. So this cultural identity that they have now is just more of a recent thing than you're saying. Well, the thing is that the, the essence of who I am, the way I've been brought up, I've been brought up as a Basque culturally, but without the name, without the tag. So I never made the connection, you know, the way you relate 
things. It's like, oh, I'm not Basque, I'm Spanish. And then I'm like, no, I'm Basque. I mean, I, to me, I love the South of Spain, but to me, there are two folkloric, two, well, I don't have 700 years of Muslim heritage. That warmth of the South of Spain, that way of welcoming people, we don't have it here. Here, we are very direct for the good, for the less, like, yes, no. When people come to the Basque country, I always like to explain that you have to be prepared because if you go for a coffee, for example, we are we do not say, hi, good morning, how can I help you? No, what do you want? Could I please have a coffee? Do you want it with milk or solo? With milk, large or small? small. That's our polite way of talking. <laughs> so we are very, very, very direct. And people are like, you guys are so rude. I was like, no, it's just the way we are. So don't be offended. Don't take it personal. It's just the way we are. It's a little bit more of a French people, way of being maybe too straightforward. Yeah, it's just being being direct. But you're right about that. Spain and Mediterranean cultures in general. It's like you you if you need to ask somebody a question before you get to the question, you ask them, "How is your mom? And how is your dad? <laughs> how have you been lately? Tell me about this." And then eventually you get to the 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 question. You know. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Well, that's interesting. So there really is a huge difference then between the cultures of the North and the South. And I mean, you also have a very different different topography, a different kind of weather, everything is different, right? Yes, I mean, for example, the weather, when people think Spain, it's way too hot in the summer, it's impossible, it's like a hundred degrees. Well, that's if you go to Madrid or the South of Spain. Yeah. But here, all the way in the North, from Galicia all the way to here, uh, summer it's nice it's warm we get one day that maybe we might reach 100 then there's a big storm and temperatures go down to 70s 80s beautiful sunny so the weather here in the summer it's beautiful in the spring it rains a little bit more and to me one of my favorite seasons is the fall the fall is really 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 beautiful because it doesn't rain but nature is breathtaking Oh, yeah. Wow. Fall is always, I think, a beautiful time to travel, which just as a quick aside, I wanted to just take a quick little, uh, little not break, but just a little thing I wanted to point out. Um, Francisco has started running his own tours. So you have uh, two different itineraries you're going to be running next year, right? Yes. This, uh, on my, this year, this year. Yeah, you're right. So this, uh, this year, thanks to COVID, I guess, we have to say that thanks to it, uh, I have created my little a tour guiding company and I'm going to be leading tours. Uh, one is going to be a Basque staycation where we're going to stay at the Pyrenees and do day excursions back and forth. And then we're going to be walking the Camino de Santiago. We're not going to walk the whole thing because it's 600 miles. We're going to do it in one week. And it's, we're going to be a walking part, but we're going to see our, we're going to uh, eat our way through the Camino. We're going to drink it. Yeah, so we're going to experience a lot of fun things. So the Camino cool. and the Basque situation. So when are you doing those tours? So the Camino, I have one in the spring in June, starting June 19th, and one at the end of the summer in August 28th. And then the Basque situation, I have one for this for the spring that is sold out. And then for the fall, one starting October 8th. You have a Camino thing on August 28th. That is very interesting, Fran, because I don't have anything to do at the end of August, beginning of September. 
Hmm. Well, well, well. Well, well, well. I, I mean, literally, we did not even talk about that, but I, I, that's one of my goals is I've never done the Camino and I've always wanted to. And I thought, well, that might be like my 50th birthday thing that I do, which should be in what, two years to three years to no, do. 20 years. In 20 years, yes. In 20 when I turn years. 50, I would like to walk the entire uh, Camino. But hmm, yeah, you and I need to talk. That would be really fun because I don't have anything going on at that point. But yeah, uh, the Camino, I just think. So when we talk about the Camino, I, you know, for me, I'm Catholic and that feels like an important thing to, to kind of do to kind of relate to the way I was brought up and religion. But you don't need to be religious to do it, right? No. In fact, more and more people that we see walking the Camino have nothing to do with Catholicism. This is a spiritual thing. It's a way of connecting with yourself and be in direct contact with nature. And one, to me, one of the things that moves me is that if anybody has any European heritage, some of your family, for sure, has walked the Camino. I mean, wow. millions of people have walked the Camino. So the importance of walking where other people has been walked before and you know that your ancestors have been there i don't care what religion you are that that special connection it's overwhelming really it's a spiritual thing it's it's a i don't know and in in the tour i'm going to be doing i i we're going to be walking parts of the camino and I want people to walk those parts on their own. Try to reconnect with yourself. Try to make the best out of it. I mean, you don't need to be extra fit to do that. It's going to be an hour, maybe two hours walk, uh, and more or less easy path. So it's going to be beautiful. Wow. You know, I never, it never even occurred to me to, the, to want to do the Camino. I know a lot of travel writers do it. And I, I have a lot of friends and colleagues that have done it just for that purpose. And I, it never occurred to me to want to do it until when I was in Tuscany a couple of years ago, I was with my friend Roberto Becchi and we were doing some filming on the Via Francigena, which is like okay. an Italian version of it, but it's something that has been resurrected just within the last maybe five, 10 years. And it had never occurred to me to want to do that until I saw these people. They they had the seashell on, you know, on the, their backpack and they were out there doing it. And I just thought, gosh, that it, it's not just the... I mean, there is the spiritual aspect, but I think it really is that time travel aspect that just is so cool when you see these people out there that are walking. I mean, of course, they've got on their Merrill hiking shoes and their technical backpack <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. I mean, sure. But it, it is just so neat to see people doing something that, that humanity's been doing for centuries. You know, it, it's just sort of, it feels like you get, you connect to people of the past somehow, right? Well, <clears throat> oh, sorry. For, I mean, I literally live in the Camino de Santiago. In the moment, every day I go for to buy groceries. In the moment I put a step on the street, I am in the Camino. So for us, the people that we are, we have lived all our lives in the Camino. One of the things that you are taught when you were very, very, very small is that you always have to respect the pilgrims. Because when you come to walk the Camino, there is one reason for you to be doing it. You, the pilgrim might not know it yet, but there is a reason for that. And we, we have been born here, we've been lucky to be born here, and we, we have this duty to be the guardians 
of the pilgrims. We have to be the, the people who helps the pilgrims. So if you see a pilgrim in need, you're going to help them. I mean, yeah. the Camino, in fact, is one of the places where the camaraderie and people helping each other. It's a, There's a, a lot of single female walking the Camino, and you're going to be many hours on your own. So it's like a lot of times people ask, is it a safe place? It is. It is yeah. quite a safe place. I mean, we've a couple of times something bad has been reported, but most of the people, it's nice, it's easy. I mean, not physically easy or emotionally, but uh, danger-wise, it's not a problem. So have, you done, have you done the whole thing? I did it with my school when I was a kid. Uh, so I always say that I have walked it. I was We did it in two different summers. Okay, so we did from Pamplona to Leon and then to Santiago the next year. So I have walked it, but I was 15. I, I didn't, you know, when you're that young, you don't have things to reflect on, to go through. So I've walked it. I have not done it. I want to do it now. I really want to, you know, you know, 15 years old, what scenes or what bad things have you done? Come on, you've touched yourself. Those are horrible. <laughs> like, I mean, come on, I come from like, yeah. school. It's like, did you touch yourself? I'm like, no, I didn't. It's like, <laughs> I remember going to, I think it was my first confession when I was like, whatever, I, I must've been nine or something. I went to my first confession and they're like, what sins have you done? And I'm like sitting there going, uh, uh, I hit my sister, which was a lie. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sitting right now. Cause I lied to you about having sinned. <laughs> yeah. I think it's true though, that you know, well, to me. As I did, had no idea what to say the first time I went for confession, I was like, so I have, so well, sorry, I, what I was going to say is that I didn't know what to confess. So I was yeah. like, well, out of the uh, 10 amendments, I have gone, I've done the first one, the seventh and the eighth. So you have killed somebody, you have, you just made it up. <laughs> so I don't know what I've done. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I remember thinking about that because I was a really like obedient child. Like I really was. I I really didn't do bad things because my sister was good at doing that stuff. So I was sort of like there was no shock value in me doing stuff. And I remember sitting down with the with Monsignor Biederman, our, our pastor of our church, trying to understand what is it you want me to tell you? I don't understand. Well, did you see somebody wearing a, a nice pair of jeans that you would like? And I'm like, well, I guess. Did you want those jeans? I guess. Oh, well, that's envy or avarice or whatever. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. That's bad. All right. Okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I have done that. So I don't know. So I have sinned. I just didn't even realize that those things were sins. Okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. now that I'm older, if I walk this the Camino, I have plenty of things to reflect on that I could have done better. So that's uh that would be worthwhile. I mean, that I think that's the essence of the Camino. Try to find something that you connect and you go over and it's a beautiful 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 thing yeah i mean and i think that just being alone with your thoughts is is a good thing to do as well just and doing something spiritual and alone with your thoughts i think that would be fun so have there been people on the camino during the pandemic at all or has it been empty the whole time uh not the whole time uh, for almost a year there was barely nobody now we're beginning to see the things that here in Europe, 
the regions, they were closed, so you could not cross from one region to another region, so it was impossible for us to move. Now we're beginning to see pilgrims, and especially now that, uh, well, now is the winter time, which is very low. A lot of people are asking, and hostels are beginning to pre-booked and all those things, so we're expecting oh. a good year of pilgrimage. So things are looking looking up in your area. Yeah. Oh, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that. So um, you've got a busy schedule this year. So that's nice to hear. Yeah. Let's hope it all works. <laughs> hopefully everything will, will, will work out. And yeah. Hopefully will. So if people are coming up to the Basque region, um, how long do you think they should spend? I mean, if somebody's visiting um, Spain, how, how many days would you? Because I think it's actually quite distant from Madrid and Barcelona and all of that. It's going to be a little <coughs> bit more difficult to get there. How would you dedicate a week? Would you dedicate 10 days? Uh, if you want to get a hold of the Basque country, I think a week is perfect. Now we're going to, uh, we're about by the end of the year, we are going to have a high speed train coming all the way to the Basque country. So it's going to be much, much easier to connect with the Basque country. We do have airports, Bilbao, San Sebastian, but we're going to have a high speed train coming from Madrid, which we are very happy. Oh, that would be, be great. Yeah. So, I mean, trains should should really revolutionize your area and probably bring more tourism as well, I would guess. Well, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what would you say would be the highlights if you were to put together an itinerary in the Basque region? What are the, the towns people should visit? The towns that everybody has to visit. First, the big one, which is Bilbao and see the Guggenheim Museum of Modern Art. That is the big building that we have here. Then city-wise, we have to come to San Sebastián, the most beautiful town in the Basque Country. Also the food capital of the Basque Country. Here, food is huge thing. San Sebastián is the city where more Michelin stars per capita in the world. And if you cannot spend 300 euros on a meal, what you can do is go for tapas, which is the tapas place in the world. Another city is my hometown here in Pamplona, the city of the Riding of the Bulls. Yes, the Riding of the Bulls is big, but it's not everything that is in town. And then go to the French Basque side to see Saint-Jean-de-Luz, for example, that I love. It's where the Sun King from France got married. So there's a lot to see and a lot of history. Uh, Biarritz, where Napoleon III had his summer house. So it's, and then one of the things I think rent a car and get lost in the roads and that's the best thing anybody can do i think that that's Try to... and it's not scary no. driving around there no i mean you need to know how to drive okay because uh first of all we do not have many uh, automatic rent cars most of them are a stick shift so that's yeah. one of the things to keep in mind and then if you go to the mountains hey it's the pyrenees so but if you're from seattle it's like going you know, of the mountains, you know, you have to know how to drive a little bit, but not, it's not difficult. If I can do it, anybody can, trust me. <laughs> so tell me a little bit, Fran, about what we're going to do this week. So tomorrow um, we're going to be doing a cooking. Uh, have you decided what we're cooking tomorrow? Uh, I think we're going to be cooking some tapas. Oh, fun. Okay. Right? Um, All right. We call them pinchos from here. So I think that's what we're going to be cooking. Okay. Then uh, on Wednesday, uh, I want to talk with you to see if we want to do a city tour, for example, of the city of San Sebastian. It's going to, I was waiting all the way to see 
about the rain because there was a big yeah. storm coming in that has disappeared. So oh, great. we could do okay. Wednesday, uh, Wednesday or Thursday, I don't care, the city of San Sebastian. And okay. then on Thursday, do we can walk the Camino. We can work Very a little good. bit in the Camino and oh, I'm excited do a little about bit that. of it and try to explain a bit. So I can I can say I've That's done something we could do, you know, even if it's just virtually. <laughs> we, although it's a little bit virtual, we've done it. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 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 Very good. And then so Friday we we're going to have a slide. Depending on whether and yes. Oh, one thing uh, for Wednesday and Thursday, we need to do it at nine o'clock Seattle okay. time because unfortunately by ten it's everything is dark. Yeah, so we'll that's do fine. It at nine. Okay, so okay. Um, just Perfect. so everybody got the schedule. So the schedule then is that we're going to do Cucina Quarantena tomorrow. We'll let you know the time later. And then the two events, the live virtual tours, will be at 9 a.m. Pacific time, uh, Wednesday, Thursday. And then Friday, we're going to do the slideshow so you can see the cool itineraries that uh, Francisco has put together. So I think we're going to end it here for a good reason, because as you know, those of you who are watching, I have been experimenting with trying to move a bunch of, migrate a bunch of all of this stuff over onto YouTube. So I thought what uh, Fran and I would do is just a really quick 10 minute live stream over on um, YouTube. And we're going to be talking, I think it might be fun to talk a little bit more in detail about how to visit the Camino. So let's go ahead and, and move over to YouTube. And if you guys are watching, just go ahead and jump on. You can find me just Adventures with Sarah or Sarah Murdoch on YouTube. And we're gonna be live over there in a few minutes. So. Thank you so much for this wonderful week, Fran. I'm so excited for all the things you have planned. Thank you for hosting me. It's going to be great. So yeah. let's go to YouTube. All righty, let's go. <laughs>